Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. So we're starting a new series today. We were, we've been going through 1 Corinthians, our Rethink series. We're taking a break for the summer because summer is usually inconsistent with, with people. Um, you know, there's cottages, there's vacations, there's, there's all those things. So we're going to hit, we're going to go back into 1 Corinthians in September. And during the summer, we're going through a new series called 101. What does 101 make you guys think about? Dalmatians. <laughs> that was not the intention. <laughs> Come on, no. <laughs> it's supposed to make you think about school. I did hear someone else say school. Uh, so it's supposed to make you think about, and actually don't think about school because no one wants to go to school in the summer. But uh, just the basics, you know, like psych, psych 101 or bi- biology 101, just the basics of the faith. So we're going to go through the basics of the faith a little bit <clears throat> this summer. And you can see there's a list of topics up there. And... They all, we're all going to put in, we're going to put an evangelistic take on all of them to give you guys tools to engage society. Uh, This week, we're talking about kingdom. And what I'm going to do this week is just lay the foundation for the rest of this series. All right? Everybody, everybody good with that? So let's talk about kingdom today. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. So for those of you guys who don't know, I'm half Thai. And Thai people love the king of Thailand. Everybody loved the previous one. He was the longest reigning monarch. His name is King uh, Pumipan Idunajay. He was uh, the longest reigning monarch in the world for 70 years, a continuous reign of 70 years. And he was revered. He was, uh, he was loved. He, like everybody, um, yeah, he was just, he was thought of as divine. So, uh, and actually, here's an interesting fact about him that a lot of people don't know. He was born in America. So he's American. He's Thai American, like me. <laughs> I'll let you draw the connections there to my royal lineage. But he's, he's Thai American, like, like me here. So him and I, maybe we're like... I could be royalty, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. Uh, but if you've, how many of you guys have been to Thailand? All right, oh wow, a bunch of people, yeah. So Thailand, if you, go, if you go to Thailand, you'll see something very distinctive for Southeast Asia, for actually anywhere in the world. There's pictures of the king everywhere. If you've been in a Thai home, everyone has a picture of the king. If you, you'll see shrines along the road, there's billboards of the Thai king. And they're all like different stages of his life, right? They're, they're just everywhere. They re, like I said, they revere, revere him as divine in a sense. <clears throat> and, and when you go to a movie, anyone been to a movie in Thailand? Okay, when you go to a movie in Thailand, they, they'll have the previews. And then right before the movie starts, they'll do a montage of all these pictures of, of the Thai king. And they'll all form, like, it's, 
it's like pictures and then it goes back and it forms this like face of pictures. You know, remember when that was cool? They still do it there. So it forms this face of pictures of the Thai king and you're supposed to stand for it. So I remember being with my mom and I was sitting there and she stood up and uh, she looks, she hits me. She's like, you're supposed to stand up. Um, and I'm like, he's not my king. Um, but everyone has to stand up just out of reverence and respect for the king. They, they, love, they love the king there. So this is, this is how Thai I am. Growing up, <clears throat> outside of my bedroom, in the hallway outside of my, my bedroom, we had this massive frame of the Thai king sitting on his throne. So every morning when I would wake up, he'd be one of the first things I would see. Every evening when I would go to bed, he'd be one of the last things I'd see. It's a picture much like this one. Boom, there he is on his throne. He was young, he was young here. I don't know what he did to get those medals, probably just being born as the king. Um, But a picture much like that, I would see every morning and I would see every night when I go to bed. And and this was before my parents were believers. Um, We just, we had Thai king stuff in in the house. So, um, and the thing is, it's funny, when, when I'd have friends come over, I would tell them he's my grandpa in Thailand. They'd be like, why do you live in this dump? (laughs) As followers of Jesus, we have a king. As followers of Jesus, we are part of a kingdom. But as followers of Jesus, many of us don't revere Jesus as our king as much as the Thai people do to a man. And the kingdom changes things in us. It's supposed to. You know, I've heard, when you think about the kingdom, or before, when you think about Jesus, if there was a montage of Jesus before the movies you watched, would you still watch that movie? If you saw Jesus every morning and every night, do you think that would change the, the trajectory of your life? Do you think that would change your choices? Do you think you would stop habitually sinning the same sin over and over? Do you think you'd love others better? Do you think you'd treat others better? And here's the thing, like I said, most Thai people revere this king and it changes the way they live. And us, we have a King Jesus, an eternal king. That guy, he's gone. Jesus is eternal, and it's not changing the way we live. This is largely because we do not understand the kingdom. We don't understand how it works. And because of that, we're still living the same life that we used to live. I've heard, I mean, so let's start here. What, what is the kingdom? What is the church? Is, if I asked many of you guys that before this, a lot of us would equate the church with the kingdom. We'd say, well, they're the same, but they're not the same. The church is a part of the kingdom. The church is the agent of the kingdom. The church is the ambassador of the kingdom. This is why Paul uses this, in this language in 2 Corinthians 5. We have the ministry of reconciliation for the kingdom, but the church is not the kingdom. It's a part of it. It expands it. It proclaims it. 
Us as a church, we proclaim it. Uh, I've heard the kingdom described in, in a few different ways. The simplest way I've heard it described, uh, someone said that the, the kingdom is when God gets his way. I've heard theologians say the kingdom is, is uh, it's called inaugurated theology. It's, it's the kingdom is already, but not yet. So Jesus inaugurated something in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and then he's going to consummate it or complete it when he returns. So already, like it's already, but, but not yet. Leo Tolstoy, he would say, and he wrote a book entitled this, that the kingdom of God is within you. At Trinity Life, we would say yes to all those things. But we would, we would use a different, we would use a different definition of it. We say at Trinity Life that the kingdom is where the reign of God is lived out. There's two elements there. So it's where the reign of God is lived out. That's our definition for the kingdom of God here. Because when the kingdom of God is within you, when God gets his way, it affects the way you live. You can't have one without the other. Okay? When these things happen, it affects the way you live. So here's the bottom line of the sermon today, what we're going to take throughout the entire sermon. When you let the kingdom in, you live the kingdom out. Okay? When you let the kingdom in, you, you live the kingdom out. If that's not happening for you, um, maybe this sermon will help you see why. So let's jump into the passage. Acts 1, this is one of the biggest kingdom passages in the scriptures. Luke writes this, and Luke has written two books in the New Testament. He's written the Gospel of Luke, which is the... the uh, the original, the first movie, and then he's written the Acts of the Apostles, which is like the sequel. So one is where Jesus began to do and teach a bunch of things, and then the second is where the church takes what Jesus began to do and teach and lives it out. So he says in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And that, that word began is awesome because it's saying that Jesus started something that is still moving that is still going. He started a movement. He didn't just contain uh, something. He began it. And now it's, it's continuing through Acts here. And in Jesus' ministry, when he begins, he gives a one-line sermon. Do you guys know what it is? He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's it. And he goes around preaching that. Now, a lot of times we hear that and we think, oh, well, he's saying it's coming or, or you know, it's on its way. But Jesus is actually saying, yes, I'm, I'm inaugurating something. I'm, I'm giving you a new lens to view the kingdom through the Messiah, through Christ, through who, who I am. But he's saying it's here. The kingdom is here, and I'm about to reveal it to you. I'm about to take the veil off of your hearts. I'm about to take the veil off of your eyes. I'm about to roll back uh, the clouds, and you're going to see the kingdom of God. That's been here, and that is here, and that now I'm going to show you how to live in it. So then he goes into Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is the kingdom manifesto in the Bible. 
God All right, so Gandhi, he, he meditated on the Sermon on the Mount every day. He'd wake up at 5 a.m., meditate on the Sermon on the Mount every day, and, and he's not a Christian, guys. He's not a, he, would ne- he never said he was a Christian. And he would get up every morning, meditate on 5, 6, and 7 every day, pray to whatever, and, and uh, it changed a nation. It created a nation. Right? It created India. And here we are as followers of Jesus, as followers of a king, and someone who isn't a follower of that person is, is doing that. How much more so should that be for us? How much more so should we say, wow, this Sermon on the Mount, the things Jesus teaches in here can change the world. So let's walk through it for a second. There's an ordering to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Daniel, Adam, and I have been reading through this book by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. A lot of what I'm about to say in the next two, three minutes is, is from what we've discussed and learned from that book. Uh, this is one of the best books on the kingdom out there, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. So, <clears throat> and he says there's a certain ordering to the Sermon on the Mount. So if you, if you look, if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me, or you can just listen. I'm going to go through it really quickly. He starts off with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And, and uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. And then he goes into salt and light. He says, you are salt. You preserve God's culture, his goodness. And then you are light. You shed light into the darkness. And he says, you're the light of the world. And then he says, remember, this is about kingdom living. This is what you're going to look like if you live for the kingdom of God. This is what you'll look like. He says, we treat anger in a certain way. We, get, we, we handle it differently than the rest of the world. Second, he says, we treat lust a certain way. We handle it differently than the rest of the world. Divorce is different, he says. Commitment is different. And then, he, then he talks about your integrity. And he says, that's, that's different. He says, when you say yes, that should mean yes. When you say no, it should mean no. You don't have to swear an oath. You don't have to do any of that. Just say yes or no and live as a person of integrity. And then he says, and then he goes into the eye for an eye passage. If you get slapped on one cheek, turn turn the other cheek. Uh, if, if anyone would sue and take your tunic, basically like just steal it from you, give them your cloak as well. And we get to that, and, and this passage in particular, how many of you guys love that? How many of you guys love if someone were just to come up to you and slap you to just turn the other cheek and say, yeah, yeah, give me one on this side too. We have a problem with that. We have issues with that. And it's because a lot of times we read that and we're like, I can't do that. Like, what, how, how can I do that? And it's because we've just taken it out of the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, no, 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 we got to start here. Poor in spirit, merciful, uh, peacemakers, you've, you've been transformed in your anger. You've been transformed in your lust. You've been transformed in your integrity. Well, now it becomes easy to turn the other cheek. See, the problem you guys can't turn the other cheek is because you still have the other issues. 
anger, lust, integrity. You're not poor in spirit. You're not a peacemaker. He says, you got to take care of those things first. The spirit has to do a work in your life first there before you can even get to this point. Because you can't do it, he's saying. And then he says, love your enemies. We don't want to do that. Well, if we're turning the other cheek, loving our enemies is pretty easy, right? If we've, if we've settled the anger in our heart, loving our enemies, that's not, a, that's not a problem. Then he says, we give, we're generous. Then he teaches us how to pray and then fast. If you know how to pray, fasting's not an issue for you. It's just, it's just the order of how this works. Then he says, lay up treasures in heaven. Don't be anxious about what God is gonna give you and supply for you, because he's gonna give you all your needs. Well, if we're laying up our treasures in heaven, then we're not going to worry about stuff like that on this earth. There's this ordering here. He talks about asking. He says, you serve a good father. Just ask him, and he'll give it to you. Then he talks about the golden rule, trees, and then building your house on the rock, which is the sand. It was the passage that I read at the end of the sermon last week. With the Sermon on the Mount... This should, this should, as you read through this, it should tell you whether you're actually living for the king and the kingdom or not. Because when you say, and it, and it almost shows you where you are, right? If you say, well, I can't love my enemies. Well, you can just trace back into the Bible and say, well, maybe that's my issue. Maybe I'm just not a person of integrity. Or actually, maybe I have an issue with lust or maybe anger. Maybe I'm just not a peacemaker. And the whole thing here is about the Spirit's work of transformation in your life. It's kingdom in and kingdom out. You see, a lot of people, a lot of us when we read this, we think Jesus is just substituting a set of rules and regulations and religious principles and laws for another set. Jesus is not doing that. That's why he always says, hey guys, you've heard it was said this way, but that's not right. It's actually this is how, this is how it works. He says it before each one. He's like, hey, you've heard it this way, but it's actually this way. And if Jesus is just switching one set of laws for another set of laws, we're in the same area. We're in the same spot we were in. He's not establishing a law of righteousness for us. Because he knows we will never attain it. He knows we can't be good enough. He knows we can't get to heaven ourselves. He knows we can't get to him ourselves. We can't get to the Father ourselves. We need the work of the Spirit in us. Just let's let's take a look at the, the passage in lust. I think I have it up here for us to follow along with. So he says here, you've heard it was said, you should not commit adultery. And he's not saying that's not a law. That is. But he says... He's, he's redefining, he's giving us a kingdom lens to view. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his, uh, with her in his heart. And he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it down and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now here's how most of us read that. <clears throat> I'm struggling with pornography, and Jesus says, I need to cut out my right eye because it's causing me to sin, and I need to throw it away. And here's what we normally do. 
I see, I don't see anybody without eyes in here, but I know that pro based on stats, probably a quarter, half, two-thirds of you are struggling with pornography. Um, but all of us have our eyes. So we haven't obeyed that, right? No one, no one has. And here's what we normally do. We, we uh, euphemize his statement. Not euthanize. We, we, euphemize. we, we make it a euphemism. And, and we say, oh, well, my right eye, let, we apply it this way and say, oh, well, maybe that's my computer. So now like, I just need to get rid of my computer. And, and that's, that's going to do it. And sure, sure, you, you put rules against when you look, at, look online. You, you put rules against when you use your computer. You only use in public. And you know what? All that does is mitigate symptoms. All you're doing is wiping your runny nose. You haven't actually done anything about the sickness that is in your heart. And that's why when an opportunity presents itself, you're back at it. And that's why it's an, a habitual sin in your life. Jesus is not saying to do this. He's showing us the ridiculous, absurd nature of what religious people say. He's like, Jesus is saying, sure, you want to live your life by laws? Well, if you're, so, if you're so keen on laws and punishment, why don't you cut out your right eye? That's what's causing you to sin, right? Cut out your right eye and throw it away. Isn't it better that uh, that would happen than your whole body be thrown into hell? Because they're doing this to stay out of hell. If you're religious in here, you're doing this so you don't get hell. You're not doing this for a relationship in Christ. And he's saying, okay, sure, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If you're so keen on laws, just cut it off and throw it away. That's going to that's gonna help, right? Dallas Willard says this. He's like, you can maim your body all you want and still have a corrupt heart that desires lust, anger, uh, retaliation. He's, he says, you can do all that. You can maim the outside and your heart can still be corrupt. And Jesus is trying to show us the absurd nature of what the religious pursue. And if that's you in here today, you're never going to attain Christ. You're never going to attain the kingdom. And this is why Jesus says at the end, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of unrighteousness. You see, Jesus isn't just switching laws out here. He's saying there's a new kingdom paradigm that I'm revealing to you. I'm trying to show you something beautiful, he's saying. So, he began to do and teach this. In verse 2, he says, Luke writes, Until the day when he was taken up, he ascended into heaven, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. I love that Luke mentions that Jesus was operating in the Holy Spirit in his ministry. We can't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. If you're not a believer in here today, and you look at Christians and you think, oh, they're just a bunch of like people who look perfect or want to be perfect or uh, those things. I'm here to tell you, like, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for God's work in my life. 
It's nothing I've done. And any follower of Jesus in here would say the same thing. It's nothing that we've done. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is working in and through Jesus. And he shows us that, a, that it's possible for us to live that life. Isn't that crazy? You, in this world, can live the life of Jesus. He didn't have a different Holy Spirit. He had the same Holy Spirit that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have indwelling you. So that life that Jesus lived is possible for you. But you know what our problem is? We can't get past blessed are the poor in spirit. You can't get past that in your life. We can't get past our pride. So we can't do the rest of it. But Jesus says it's actually possible for us to do that. In verse 3, he says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, so the resurrection, by many proofs. He appeared to over 500 people, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 40 days is very significant. Jesus started the preparation of his ministry in the wilderness for 40 days. He ends preparing the church uh, in, in 40 days. And he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. He's not speaking to them about the church. You see, at Trinity Life, we don't start with the church. We start with the kingdom. Because if we start with the kingdom, we're always going to get the church. If we start with the church, we may never get to the kingdom. We don't have a church mentality here. We want a kingdom mentality. Because Jesus had this. He started his ministry with the kingdom. He ends it with a kingdom. Acts, Luke recognizes this. He starts his book with talking about the kingdom. Uh, the end of Acts, the very last verse, says Paul is proclaiming the kingdom boldly and freely in Rome. Acts begins and ends with the kingdom. Just beautiful how, how the Bible works. And he says in verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Luke actually ends the gospel with, the same, with these same verses. And he says at the end there, and he uses different, a little bit of different terminology, and he says at the end that you are witnesses of these things. He's talking to the apostles, Jesus is. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay, he says, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And then Luke repeats, repeats this at the beginning of Acts here. And so he says here, to wait. How many of you guys are okay with waiting? How many of you guys are okay with waiting on God? How many of you are content with saying, God, you... You have your way. You do what you want. That's the kingdom of God, remember? How we described it. How many of you are okay with saying, God, I'm just going to wait for you to show up? How many of you guys are okay with just sitting in God's presence and just being? Your answers to those questions are going to, are, they're going to be indicative of your religiosity. They're indicative of how religious you are. They're, they're indicative of of your, your religious tendencies and, and your propensities towards religion. And Jesus never came to establish a new religion. A Christian faith is not a religion. We're centered around a person. We're centered around a relationship. 
I'm sure you've heard that one before. And he says here that they were to wait for the promise. And the promise is that the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he's going to clothe them with power from on high. Here he uses the word baptized or immersed. Don't, don't read like, um, bap- don't read like uh, anything else into this <laughs> except um, just he's immersing us into the Spirit. He's clothing us with the Spirit. The Spirit is a deposit in our souls guaranteeing our salvation, Paul says in Ephesians 1. Like he's, he's, he's in us, he's transforming us, and we can't do anything without him. Verse 6, he says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The disciples are focused on the when. Jesus just taught them all this beautiful stuff. And they're like, when are you going to do this, Jesus? And when is it going to happen to Israel? When is it going to happen to us? How many of you guys are too focused on the when? When, God, are you going to give me that job that's going to satisfy me? When, God, are you going to give me that relationship that I'm going to finally feel complete in? When, God, are you going to show up here? When are you going to do this? And Jesus redirects them from the when to the what. And he says, you're going to receive power from on high, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to be my witnesses wherever you go. And specifically for us, how do, we, how do we be witnesses of the king? How do we be proclaimers of the kingdom like Paul was at the end of Acts? He's in prison, guys. Like, he's, he was in prison at the end of Acts, probably getting ready to, to be beheaded. And he's just proclaiming the kingdom freely and boldly. How do we get there? How do we do that? How do we become proclaimers of the kingdom in this way? And let's not think about the ends of the earth. Right, let's, let's not think about that right now. Let's not think about Samaria. Typically, or, or when you see Samaria, those are like enemies of, of Israel. This is love your enemies territory here. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> this is love your, that didn't help when I covered it. This is love your enemies territory here, Samaria. They're like mortal enemies don't even think about that yet. He says Judea. Like, don't even worry about that. Those are like people we don't know. How about your Jerusalem? How about those that you've chosen to do life with? Your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighborhood. How do you just be a witness to them? How do you be a kingdom citizen to them? How do you show them who our king is? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I think that's where we start. You see, a lot of us tend to start with knowledge. Let me, let me tell you this about Jesus. That's all good, but if they don't see you being, being uh, any of those other things where the spirit has transformed you, then that knowledge, that truth, 
they don't want to hear it because it's not true for you. They don't see it true in your life. If you let the kingdom in, you will live the kingdom out. But you have to let the kingdom in first. You have to let the king sit on the throne of your heart first. And this is, this is the, the point here. Now we start small, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And what's, what's really cool about the book of Acts is this one verse establishes the pattern for the entire book of Acts. So you see, you can trace throughout the book that the, the gospel starts in Jerusalem, the spirit comes on the believers. Judea, you see this happen. Gospel, believers, spirit. Samaria, you see it happen. Gospel, believers, spirit. Ends of the earth, you see it happen. Gospel, uh, believers, spirit. This is the pattern throughout the entire book of Acts. So Luke shows us that the fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen in Acts 1-8 actually happens through the entire book of Acts. And then verses 9 through 11, last verses, he says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The cloud is so significant. I think last week I talked about the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire out of 1 Corinthians. Um, but you always see this cloud. It, it, it reminds you of the transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. A cloud just envelops them, and then they're gone. It reminds you of, like, Elijah and Enoch and... and um, in the Old Testament. And so, same thing happens with Jesus. A cloud took him out of their sight. And what are the disciples doing? They're just doing this. <laughs> just gazing, gazing up into heaven as he went. And behold, remember what I say about behold? Whenever you see behold in the scriptures, it's like someone punches you in the face, like gets your attention. So whenever you see that word, behold, something important is about to happen. Two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee. I think, I've always wondered why they say men of Galilee and why that's significant. I think if you look at ends of the earth, Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem, Galilee is an even, it's, it's, it's an even more specific region for them. And he's like, men of Galilee. And maybe it's like, hey, get, get going. So he says, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Many of you guys in your journey with Jesus are just standing there, and you're looking. And you may have good intentions. You may just say, Jesus, I want you to come back, which we should say, and we should anticipate, and we should plead for, and we should desire. But many of us are just standing there waiting, saying when. But Jesus says, here's the what. You're going to have power, and you're going to be my witnesses. And that same power that was in Jesus is the power that we have as his witnesses, the same power that's in the early church that made the church explode and expand across the world is the same power we have as a church here in Toronto. I don't know if you guys noticed but Pride uh, Week was, is happening. That's kind of a joke. I'm sure you guys have noticed. Uh, Pride Week is, is happening. Parades, all that stuff. What's our duty as a church? That's a block, a block away from us. 
what do we do as a church? Do we join in and participate and, and push them forward? Do we stand over here and say, you sinners, and we condemn you and we judge you? Or do we have a kingdom lens and we start to love them in the name of Jesus? And we start to reconcile people to their Father in heaven. We have a tremendous opportunity as a church in a, in a city like this to show people the ministry of reconciliation. We have a tremendous people to be ambassadors. We have a tremendous opportunity to be ambassadors for Christ. And we, we struggle with that because we don't understand the kingdom of God. I've only seen a few handfuls of people in my life truly live as kingdom citizens, just personal experience. And we've seen a few handfuls of people live as kingdom citizens truly. That's, it's kind of scary if you, if you think about it. <clears throat> One of these is Wendy Sasso, who, like, like I said at the beginning of the sermon, who went to be with Jesus on Tuesday. And, but here's the thing about Wendy. She was 58 years old, and she would say that 55 years of her life weren't lived this way. It wasn't until three and a half years ago that she stepped foot into a Trinity Life Church service and started discovering her identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world that she actually realized what it meant to live for the kingdom. After 55 years of life, and you can go back and watch all the videos that Winnie has done for, for us at Trinity Life Church, and you, you can verify what I'm saying right now. There, it's in all the videos. Um, so the last three, three and a half years, she was doing that. The last two years of it, she was struggling with cancer, this rare form of cancer that was totally debilitating. She lost jobs. She couldn't work. She depended on the generosity of others. She had huge financial troubles. And all of that failure in the world's eyes. All of that failure in the world's eyes. But all of those things, catalysts for the kingdom to be let in so that she would live it out in her life. All of those agents of transformation that the Spirit used to mold her into the person that she was up until last Tuesday on this earth. In the past two years, she showed us more kingdom than, uh, I don't know, I don't use superlatives very often, but maybe anyone that I've known, um, at least top few. And here's the thing, guys, there's, there's two kingdoms in this world. There's a kingdom of light, and there's a kingdom of darkness. There's the prince of darkness, and the prince of peace. And you know why we love the dark so much? It's because we grew up in it. It's because we were born into it. We're all born into the kingdom of darkness, and we love it. You might not use those words, but it comforts us. 
it, 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 it shrouds us. It hides our faults. It hides our sin. It, we feel safe in it. We, f- we feel exposed in the light. But Paul says in Ephesians 5, you were once darkness. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you were darkness, past tense. You were darkness. What's significant about that? He he doesn't say you were like darkness or you were in darkness. He says you were dark. You were purveyors of it. You were perpetuators of it. You multiplied it. Wherever you went, darkness went. You brought it everywhere you went. But then he says, now you're light. You're not in the light. You're not holding a light. You are light. You're perpetuators of it. You multiply it. You take it with you wherever you go. And he says, so act like it. Walk as children of light, he says. Because when that which is in darkness becomes uh, visible, he says, it doesn't just become visible, it actually becomes light. That's our ministry. That's why Jesus says, you are salt and you are the light of the world. And that's what we give to our city. That's what we can give to Pride Week. And that's what we can give to St. Jamestown. That's what we can give to Rosedale. That's what we can give uh, to the Seton House south of us. The light of Christ. And you're no longer in the kingdom of darkness if you're a follower of Jesus. Stop living that way. Stop acting that way. He says, you've cast those off in Christ. And now you're clothed with Christ. And Paul says in Romans 13, he says, wake up. He says, salvation is nearer to us today than when we first believed. So put on the armor of light. Cast off the works of darkness and live as Jesus because you have that power. That power is in you. It's working in you. It's glorious in you. We are his glory, Paul says. That's in us. And we get to walk in that and live like that. And that's the kingdom. That's not a new set of rules and regulations. That's freedom in Christ. Last Sunday, um, after service, Miss Nate got a text that I should never look at you. I miss you. Um, We got a text that Wendy wasn't going to make it much longer. And uh, so we're on our way to the hospital after service to see Wendy one last time. And on our way there, I said to the girls, I was like, hey, we're not, we're not gonna do, we, we, we had a change in plans and we're gonna go to the hospital. 
I'm going to go to the hospital to spend it with Wendy, spend the afternoon with Wendy and Lindsay, her daughter, and her son-in-law. And, and the girl said, well, why? And I said, well, she's dying. And it's probably the last time we're going to see her. I said it, it was the last time we're going to see her. And my daughter Emerson, who's seven years old, responded by saying, no, it's not. We're going to see her with Jesus one day. <laughs> you see, Wendy, she knew she was in the kingdom of light. She knew whose she was. And every time we went to the hospital, we brought the girls with us. And they saw a legacy, a kingdom legacy of joy and perseverance and peace and contentment of kingdom. And a seven-year-old girl on the mouth of a child can recognize that. And yet here we are and we can't even see it. Jesus is inviting you today into the beauty, majesty, grandeur of the kingdom, of a relationship, not of a religion, of a kingdom. And he is our king and we celebrate him today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that we were bought at a price and that you rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and that now we have a new master in the kingdom of light, a new king, a new Lord, and you saved us. And you set our feet on solid ground, on the rock that was Christ, you. And we will never falter because of that. The winds can come, the storm can come, the waves can come, and we will never falter because we are built on the rock that is Christ. And we just praise your name for that. And as we go into communion, we celebrate that. And so thank you, Jesus. We just pray this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.